my name is Christy, and I serve here as one of the pastors on staff. And uh, particularly if you're visiting with us this morning, it's really great to have you with us. And I hope you give us a chance to get to know you after the service. We're continuing a series of messages in First in Peter that we've started. And um, w- the theme is sojourners, is people who are on a journey whose home is not here on earth. And uh, the people that Peter is writing to are Christians who were living in modern-day Turkey, facing persecution, having a difficult time, and the whole gist of the letter that he writes to them is to encourage them. I remember hearing a story about a man who was driving, and as he's driving, and some of you can relate to this, I won't mention any names, it's, it's not somebody in the church, by the way. And they're driving, and they suddenly see the blue lights behind them with a police car following them. And uh, they signaled to, to, to pull uh, over, and they pulled over, and they lowered the window. And um, as they do that, they are quite baffled. Um, so they greet the officer, and they say, well, what, what, what's wrong? Why, why have you stopped me? I'm sure I haven't been speeding uh, I'm sure my car is fine, and I've certainly not been drinking. So why have you stopped me? And the police officer said, well, uh, it's really interesting. He said, I've been following you for quite a while, and I saw you waving your fist at somebody in the traffic. Uh, when you were at the uh, traffic light, you were looking and exchanging sort of wild looks with a, this is in America, with a Hummer driver next to you. Uh, and then proceeded to try to cut him off, and then you were pounding your steering wheel. And uh, the guy said, well, what's the problem? That's not a crime, is it? He says, no, no, no. But he said, I just noticed that you've got a sticker on your car which says, Jesus loves you, and so do I. And I'm just wondering if you stole the car. (laughs) Brennan Manning famously said these words. A great cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out of the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world finds absolutely unbelievable. And there's a challenge that I think you and I can relate to. And there's a challenge that those to whom Peter is writing to, and it's the topic that we're going to look at this morning, holiness. It's the challenge of living a godly life in the midst of an ungodly world when we so many times have this gravitational spiritual pull that goes downwards where we do the things that we don't want to do. And when Peter is writing to the Christians under pressure, his main point is to try to encourage and strengthen them. And there is a great danger when you're under pressure, when you're discouraged. At times, you're most vulnerable to compromising. People who are facing addictions, and it's probably the vast majority of people in this room, people who are are facing addictions would know that when you're on a downer, you need a pick-me-up. And that's when you're most vulnerable. And that's why when Peter is writing to a church under pressure, a church that is facing persecution, he knows that he needs to write to them in order to remind them and encourage them and give them good reasons 
to actually not forget to live differently in a godly way, in a holy way, in the midst of the pagan, hostile world that they're living in. And that's why he's writing these things to them. You might want to say, well, you know, what, what does holiness look like? And it's a, it's a very deep question. It's a very deep question. And if I probably had 30 or 40 seconds, I would simply illustrate it with a person that met Jesus. His name was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a corrupt, greedy, all-for-himself tax collector. Despised by all the people around him because he was working for the Romans at the time. And out of curiosity, when Jesus was passing through town, he goes up a tree, not quite sure why. Was he trying to be incognito? Or was he simply, uh, because of his stature, trying to find a good vantage point from which he could see Jesus? I don't really know. One thing I know is that Jesus clocks him. And he says to him, to this man that was despised by everybody in his local community, to this man that probably, in spite of all his human Material achievements, he probably felt pretty rotten about himself. He says, today, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your home. And as a result of Jesus engaging with him, this is what holiness looks like. When you meet Jesus, something begins to happen to you from the inside out. It's not a religious exercise. It's not a putting on something. But it's a transformation that is voluntary, that is driven by the love of Christ from the inside out. And as a result of it, this is how it looks for Zacchaeus. He paid back all the people that he wronged and then generously gave away his possessions in an incredible way. That's what holiness looks like. It's a change from the inside out in which when we meet Jesus and we meet his grace and love, our character changes and we become a different people. And I'm sure to those in his community, People just couldn't believe the transformation in Zacchaeus. So Peter is writing to those uh, uh, believers that were under pressure. And he's trying to encourage them to live holy lives. And this is where we pick it up as we continue reading 1 Peter 1 verses 13 to 21. Therefore, Peter is saying, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father, with a capital F, who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect." He was chosen before the creation of the world. But he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, 
who raised him from the dead. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Peter is reminding them of the reasons why they should be holy. Because it's a very fair question. Why should we live a holy life? Why is it so important to us? And Peter gives them several reasons. First of all, he says to them in verse 14, as obedient children, that's children of God, because this is what happens when we meet Jesus. We become adopted in God's family, and we can call him Father, and we have a relationship with God. We are God's children. As obedient children. And then he says in verse 16, be holy because I am holy. So actually, the first reason why we should be living a holy life, Peter is saying, is because we are God's children and we should be like him. It is interesting when you meet families. And sometimes you can see the resemblance of parents in children. And sometimes it's visual, aesthetic, and other times it's behavioral. It's the way they talk. It's the way they carry themselves. I find it fascinating. I, I was fairly young. I was about five or six when my grandfather, uh, or my paternal grandfather passed away. But my dad is a spitting image of his dad. They have the same walk. Uh, it's just the grandfather was probably a little bit shorter. But they walk the same way. They have the same mannerisms. They look the same. So much of a resemblance. And Peter is saying... Your nature, your identity, your obedient children of God. You're not just sinners in this world. You're not just anyone. You are the children of God. And the encouragement that he gives to them, he says, be holy because God says, I am holy. So there should be something about our nature in Christ that actually we should be those people who live holy lives because we are God's children. So when we walk around, when we talk, when we do anything that we do, we represent God. We are the children of God. When people look at us, they see God's children. And there should be that family resemblance with the Father in heaven. The second reason, in verse 17, it says... Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live up your time as foreigners in reverent fear. We should be living holy lives because there will be a time of judgment. And it's a very, very deep subject that will uh, take some time to get into. But the reality is that both unbelievers will be judged as well as believers. Some for... Uh, uh, eternal punishment, and others for retribution. But the one thing is for sure for all of us, there will be a time of reckoning. There will be a time of judgment that will come. And there is that sense in which Peter is reminding them, and he's saying, look, live now in the light of the future. What was that quote from the gladiator? The things that we do now echo in eternity. It's the reality that actually everything that we do right now, there will be a time in which we will give to have, have to give an account to everything that we do. I still remember those youth meetings. I will show my age. Mark can relate to that. <laughs> Both of you. <laughs> um, I remember preachers coming in in those days. This would be the mid-80s when the videos were coming in. 
And the youth speakers, were, uh, youth preachers would come in and they would say, there'd be a time when you'd be standing before God and there would be this video player and there'd be a tape with your life and every single thing that you've ever done, every lie, every dirty thought, everything will be played and your mother's going to be there. <laughs> Bit intense. But the truth is, every single one of us will have to stand, as Peter is reminding us, before a father who judges. And I love that combination of the two. We love to split them apart. We have to keep them together. He's also our father, but he's also the judge. Don't try to split them apart. And Peter is saying, live in the light of eternity. Because God the Father will judge every person's work impartially. He'd be the only perfect, impartial VAR referee. There's so much controversy in football at the moment with VAR decisions, where, where basically in the past it used to be the referee that was blamed for taking the wrong, making the wrong decision. And now they have this panel somewhere, nobody knows where they are, and they're making a decision whether it was right, it was wrong, and then people debate it, and they say, no, they were right, they were wrong, they were right, they were wrong. When we stand before God's judgment, we can be absolutely sure, Peter's saying, he will be perfectly impartial. He will get it right. But the truth is, we live our lives in holiness because we will have to give an account before the judge. And the third reason that Peter is giving, it's, it's right here in verse 18 where Peter is talking about what Jesus has done for us. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And then he says, Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. You remember I kept telling you that what Peter does in his letter is he encourages uh, those who he's uh, speaking to. He has this micro gospel messages all throughout the letter. This is one of those. He just drops this in. He says, let me remind you, this is what Jesus has done for you. It's what we sang about. It's probably to some of you it's a bit weird because you're thinking, why are we singing about lions and lambs? What the heck's going on? But it's, uh, the, the, the lion was the picture of, 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 of a mighty God. And the lamb was the picture of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. In the Old Testament, a lamb had to be sacrificed in order to atone for people's sins. And Jesus becomes the once and for all perfect sacrificial lamb who gives his life for all. And Peter is saying, you are loved. How do I know? Because Jesus gave his life for you. He shed his precious blood, more precious than silver and gold. In the light of that, live a holy life. And these are the reasons that Peter is giving to them. And you might say, well, you know, how do I know it's right? It's it's credible because he keeps saying it is written. That's what God's word declares. So how does it look for me and you? We know what it looks like for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had to... Uh, respond to the love of Jesus with a sense of getting rid of the things in his life 
that were a stumbling block. And he changed. The Apostle Paul this time is really helpful to us, and he gives us a contrast. And he creates a contrast between what the Bible calls the works of the flesh, or the old human nature, the sinful human nature, our human nature without Jesus, that is unregenerate. Okay? And then he contrasts that with a life in the Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And he creates this contrast. And instead of me trying to tell you what you should be living like, we'll better let the Bible speak to us, because it's more helpful. So, first of all, Paul is saying what we shouldn't be like, what an unholy life looks like. And then he tells us what a holy life looks like. And this is what he says in Galatians when he writes about this. And he says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Paul is saying, I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what an unholy life looks like. And that's a pretty comprehensive list. Just as an aside, isn't it funny that we live to love to pick up one or two that isn't ours and point a finger and ignore the rest? Let's keep those lists right at the front of our mind so that we don't turn into hypocrites. And then he talks about the spirit-empowered life. So when Jesus comes to you, it's like Zacchaeus when he met Jesus and, 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 and the love and the grace of Jesus, the transformation took place. And this is what it looks like, what a holy life looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such thing. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So those are the two stark contrasting images of an unholy life and a holy life. You want me to say, well, how does this happen? And we go back right to the very beginning of the passage that we read. And if you cast your mind all the way back to what Ian preached uh, about a few weeks ago, he pointed out to the hope that we have in Jesus because of his love and salvation. And then it carries on. The next verse, after we hear that about the hope and the love of Christ, it says, therefore. And where there's a therefore, we always need to pay attention to what was written before. And actually what it says to us is that if we receive the love of Christ and the grace of Jesus, there should be a therefore. I always ask, what's the so what of the message that God is giving me? What needs to change in my life? How should it look different if God is at work in us? And there, uh, Peter is saying, therefore, because God has shown us his love and his grace, therefore, there should be a transformation. There should be a change. There should be an effect, like it was with Zacchaeus. 
he, Zacchaeus could have just simply taken selfies with Jesus, posted it all over the gram, and, and, and looked really good, and nothing changed, and went back to his work, and went back to robbing people and pursuing greed. He didn't do that, because there was a therefore. And then Peter is saying, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. With minds, there's a key. So how do we do this? How does this happen? It has to do with our mindset. We live in a world that unfortunately has probably swung so far the other way and everything is built on emotion. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I, I think emotions are incredibly important to our lives. But I'm not really sure that they are more than sandcastles if we want to build our lives on emotions. It's important to embrace what the scripture is saying about the importance of our minds and the way we think. And Peter is saying, get your mind right. Get your mind right. Understand what is important. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. And there's a a warning here. Don't fall asleep. Fully alert, fully sober, don't fall asleep. So if you want to live holy lives, if I was to translate that, I would say it's because of the love of Jesus and what he's done for us. And because your mindset is right, and because you're fully aware of what's going on, live holy lives. This is how it's done. Helpfully, again, Paul is writing uh, in Romans 12, and I've chosen the paraphrase of the message because it just brings it to light, and, and, and it makes it alive, actually, where Eugene Peterson translate, uh, translates Paul's plea with Christians to actually live transformed lives. And this is what he's saying in a modern-day language that's actually quite helpful. He says, so here is what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Paul is saying, live a different life. It's so important to understand this and to know how to do it. Paul is saying, filter everything that you do. Do not be so well adjusted to your culture that you get dragged down. Filter. Question. And the important thing is to actually get to the point, and here is this very helpful advice for us, is to nurture our minds because our minds are absolutely important in order to live holy lives. 
nurture your mind with a scripture. And this is particularly helpful because we have to filter everything that comes across in terms of thinking in our culture. And we should be all the time having what culture is saying to us and what the Bible is saying to us. And we should filter. Whatever the culture is saying to us, we should filter it through the Bible and say, well, what does God say in his word? That's how we live holy lives. We take what culture, and by culture, I, 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 sometimes it's easy to kind of you know, point out there, people there. I mean, the, 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 the godless way of thinking. Sometimes it doesn't come from culture, it comes from the inside, from our own flesh. But put that into a whole package. Whether it's us in our flesh or the pagan culture around us, we've got to filter it through God's word. What does God's word say about this? And then we live holistically. It's where Eugene Peterson is sort of paraphrasing. He's saying, your go-to-work, stay-at-home life. So holy lives are not lived in a building with beautiful stained glass. Holy lives are being lived at home, at work, when you're driving. That's the holy life. That's where it gets lived. And that's what God is encouraging. What Christians have done over centuries, they have developed this sort of segregation between the sacred and the secular. This is my Sunday life, and on Sunday I come in a suit, I have this big Bible, and I'm this respectable person that prays with a funny voice and quotes loves of Scripture. And then I go to work on, on, on Monday, and I'm maybe a boss, and I'm an absolute so-and-so. Treating everybody with absolute disrespect and unkindness. You see what I'm saying? And the church has been rife with this. Both people at work and at home being absolutely horrendous. But then they're respectable in church and they pray big prayers. And they even preach great things. No. Holiness is lived holistically. And actually, one of my proudest moments as a pastor, I keep saying this, is when I hear things about you from people that don't know I know you. And it does happen. And there are times when people haven't got a clue that you go to church, uh, that I'm your pastor, and they will mention your name in passing, and they will say an incredibly great thing about you. And I'm just like, my heart's like this. I love it, because this is what it's about. It's not just about what happens here. More importantly, it's about what happens out there. Live holistically. And then probably the most important thing, we can go away from here and think, yeah, I'm just going to try harder. (laughs) It's not about trying harder. We read the list early on. It was called the what? The good things. What was it called? The fruit of the? It didn't say the fruit of the Christie. It didn't. It didn't say the fruit of John or fruit of Taz or fruit of Dan. It didn't say that. It said fruit of the Spirit. It means that the Spirit of God from the inside out is working this. We c- I cannot live a holy life. No, I can try as hard as I want. It's impossible. But as I surrender my life to the Holy Spirit, as He controls my life, every area of my life, my thinking, my emotions, my speech, my gestures, my compassion, my love for other people, my patience, everything, as He controls me, 
in a greater increasing measure, I'm able to live this holy life. So it isn't about self-help. It isn't about, I'm just going to go home and try harder. It is about surrendering to Christ. But we must surrender to be spirit-led. That's what he calls us to do. Nurture your minds on the Bible so that you're able to discern and filter and surrender daily to the Holy Spirit. Say, I don't want Christy to live out. Because if people meet Christy without Jesus and without the Spirit, man alive, you don't want that. Instead, every day and throughout the day, you say, Spirit of God, have control of me so that when people meet me, they will meet Jesus in me. That's what holiness looks like. And then the transformation continues in our lives. Last but not least, embrace grace. Don't give yourself a hard time. We all fail at this holiness business. We all do. But when you're feeling like you're sinking or when you've fallen down, just know that Jesus' hand is extended like it was to Peter when he was sinking. And he's ready to pull you out. Just give him your hand. Don't get discouraged. Don't try to fight your way. And instead, just hand him your hand and just simply say to him, Jesus, take hold of me. Take hold of me. I want to get out of this. Take hold of me. Help me to get out. Charles Simeon was probably, after Charles Spurgeon, I guess, one of the most well-known and influential ministers in England. He lived quite a while ago. I don't think any of us were alive, 1759 to 1863. And he was the vicar at Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge for 54 years. I think I'm setting myself a target. I'm halfway there, less. One of the things about Charles Simeon, he had an incredible influence upon the students at Cambridge, which would have become the elite, the thinking elite of the time. But also, he becomes a pastoral model. It's really interesting. Sometimes you read some of the writings about the stuff that he would advise, and you're thinking, it carried through hundreds of years. The depth is there. But one unknown thing about him is that when he first started serving in the Church of England, somebody, uh, one of the biographers, picked up how somebody described him. And he says, when he became his ministry, he was very angular. Not quite sure what that means, but probably it's not, uh, not good. Uh, by nature and disposition, these three I get. Hot-tempered, proud, and impetuous. Apparently, at one time he was visiting... Uh, uh, a, a noble family, and after he, he left, the daughters and the parents went back into the garden, and uh, they were talking, and they, they were commenting about his manners, his grimace, his arrogance, the faces he was pulling, the everything that was absolutely pretentious about him. And then the father went up to one of the peach trees and picked up, this was probably earlier, sort of late spring, very early summer, and picked up a peach he was still gr- which was still green and took it to the rest of the family. And he said, well, he says, this fruit is still green right now. 
But with the warmth of the sun and with enough time, it will ripen and be very tasty. So it shall be with Mrs. Simeon as the love of Christ indwells him and every day just continues to help him to grow in Christ-likeness. And that did happen. And that can happen with us too. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, search our hearts. Search our hearts not for condemnation, but for restoration. How we long to be exposed to the sun of your love so that the fruit of the Spirit will ripen in our lives too. We also know that the world will treat them unjustly. And that's the truth that we launch ourselves into this journey, saying, Spirit of God, teach us how to live as sojourners in this world in a way that we are not cantankerous and hostile. We are not people with a victim mentality. But we are people of a different kingdom, spirit-filled, pushing forward, honoring the King of Kings, and living with integrity on the narrow way, whatever comes in our path. As the band comes back, let us just take a moment of reflection and maybe think of the situations that we are aware and pray that God will come and help us shape our mindset, rewire our hearts in such a way that maybe like never before, we are better equipped to engage with the world that we live in and live in such a way that we are, what Jesus said, salt that brings taste, good taste, and light. Thank you for your grace. Amen. Let us stand together.